Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. Over the last few weeks, we've been in this series called Jesus versus Religion. I'm going to come a little bit closer, I think, to you guys. Um, We've been in a series called Jesus versus Religion, and and what we've been looking at is um, three or four chapters in Matthew where um, it's the week before Jesus uh, heads to the, the cross. And what I find interesting about this week as he's in Jerusalem, he spends most of his time um, taking on uh, religious leaders and religious behavior. And what he does is he draws this firm line between what it means to have genuine faith and what it means to be religious. And so we've been diving into this ch- uh, kind of verse by verse. And as we continue today, we're going to look at this conversation that God has, or w- that Jesus has with the Pharisees about what it means to say yes to God. You know, I think all of us wrestle with the question, if I say yes to God, what does that mean for my life? What does it mean for my life? What will God ask of me if I say yes to him? Because if you're like me, uh, you've said yes to things that maybe you didn't think through as much as you should. Um, See, I'm someone who likes to say yes. I, I have a little bit of pleaser in me, and I like to say yes to people. I like to, I like to help people. And sometimes I say yes to things that I shouldn't, and I get myself in trouble. Um, during my freshman year of college, um, I, I, I came into college. It was, you know, fall, new experience, new dorms, new friends. And I was like, man, I want to try something new. And my RA at the time played rugby. He was the captain of the rugby team. And uh, he was a big guy. He was like six foot five. Um, just a muscular guy, totally not like me, like the antithesis of me. You know, I was just this small guy. Um, and he seemed to, like, always be angry. Like, he seemed like the kind of guy that was always looking for a reason to, like, get in a fight. You know, just like, how, how can I get in a fight? And this guy's name is Zach. And anyways, I was a little intimidated by Zach. But Zach was recruiting for the rugby team, and he asked me and Dan, who also lived in my dorm, if we'd consider playing. Um, Now, I I didn't play contact sports in high school. I played basketball. And basketball is a little different than rugby in its uh, physicality. Um, It's just just a little bit like in basketball, you know, if someone touches you, you flop, right? You fall on the ground. Like in rugby, if you fall, it's because you're actually hurt. Like you're actually injured and bleeding on the ground. And so... Um, you know, so it was just, uh, it, it was different than, than, than that. And so, um, anyway, Zach asked me and Dan if we'd play rugby and we're like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. We didn't think about it. We're just like, this would be cool. New experience. Let's try it. Um, and so Zach let me borrow his cleats, which were a size too big. And so when I showed up to the first practice, it was like a really skinny guy in like goofy clown cleats, you know, just kind of big shoes and, I just looked really goofy, and um, so the first couple practices were non-contact. Like, we just were practicing, like, learning about the positions and how to pass and all that stuff. Um, If you want any more information on rugby, by the way, Barry over here. Barry's from South Africa. He knows a lot about rugby, so he's our resident expert. But if if you haven't haven't played rugby before, it's, it's pretty brutal. It's like the game of football, except you take away the pads and you take away the breaks. So it's just continuous action, continuous hits. 
Um, by the way, if you're squeamish, never Google rugby injury, okay? Never do it. Um, and so I remember going like that, going to these practices and thinking, all these guys look tougher than me. Like, I I'm the smallest guy here. And, um, and so Dan realized this, my roommate Dan, and he quit after the first couple weeks. And uh, that was smart. I should have realized, yeah, this isn't for me. But I kept going. And then we came to the contact practices. And it was, uh, yeah, it was an experience. So we, we kind of, in the contact practices, we had tackling drills. So we had guys line up on either side and run at each other, take each other out. Um, and so I was like looking up at the line and who, who I was gonna have to tackle. And it was this, like one of the biggest guys on the team. And when I got up to face him, I heard my coaches over in the corner say, oh no, <laughs> I knew I was in trouble. And so, like I run up and it probably looks like I was just trying to come give him a hug, you know? And this guy just stiff arms me and I was immediately on the ground just writhing in pain. Like what just happened? I felt like I was dying at this moment. And um, it was just this, uh, you know, so I'm just realizing like I can't play rugby. I'm not a rugby player. This is not for me. And, and after that moment, I, I went back to my dorm and I, I handed my cleats over to Zach. I'm like, sorry, man, I'm done. I can't play rugby. I don't want to die yet. So, um, <laughs> so you know, the lesson for me was, like, should I have said yes to playing rugby or should I have thought about it a little bit? Like, was I actually ready to commit to what it would take to play rugby, to, like, get stronger and bigger and, and actually play? Was I willing to take the hits or was I just saying, yeah, that, that sounds good, I'll do it? And then when I got in and I realized, man, this is pretty hard, I winced and I backed out and I went to playing, like, racquetball that year, you know? <laughs> but I wonder, too, like, if we... Do we wrestle with what it means to be obedient to God? Do we wrestle with, with what that might mean to our lives if we say yes to God? And as we approach Matthew 21 today, we're going to look at this question. What, does, what kind of obedience is God looking for? Because what Jesus does in Matthew is he talks about two different kinds of obedience and, and what these look like. So um, we're going to be in Matthew 21 this morning, and uh, 21, 28. And as we, we get there, before we get there, just to set the scene, um, Jesus is in, is in the middle of the temple and he's teaching. And in the middle of his teaching, um, Pharisees uh, come up and, and um, interrupt him and they, they basically demand, Jesus, where does your authority come from? They, they put Jesus on the spot and they ask him, where does your authority come from? Who gave you permission to speak in the temple? And they didn't know what to make of Jesus, really the Pharisees didn't, but they just knew that he was a threat. And they knew that he challenged their own authority with his teaching and miracles. You know, Jesus was out on the street and he was healing the sick and raising the dead even, and this got to the, uh, the religious leaders. And so Jesus refuses to answer them correct, uh, directly, but instead he has them answer the question for themselves. He takes them back to John the Baptist and he asks, well, John the Baptist, was his ministry legitimate? Because if, which most of the people believed, and if John the Baptist's ministry was legitimate, then his would be because John the Baptist affirmed Jesus. And so the Pharisees, they pull this political move and they give a non-answer. You know, they're like, we don't know. Uh, they're, they're kind of unwilling to, to give Jesus any leeway. 
And so instead of answering them directly, he gives them three stories just to reveal where their heart's at. And so the first one we're going to look at, the, the one we're going to look at today is Matthew 21, 28. And it'll be on the screen. It says this. What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. And what I like about this story, first of all, is that it's pretty relatable. It's pretty relatable. If, if you, um, you, know, you grew up with parents or guardians, they probably asked you to do things. They probably asked you to clean your room or mow the yard or rake the leaves or whatever. And, and so all of us can relate to that moment like, man, am I really going to obey my parents in this situation? Or if, if you've had kids, you know, like you never know what to expect from your kids when you ask them to do something. Like, am I going to be met with an okay dad and they clean their room? Or is it going to be like an all out brawl, right? You just, you don't know. Uh, when I do, I always brace myself. Um, but, but the son, um, you know, the son tells, or the, the dad tells the son to go out and work in the vineyard. And, and he's met with two responses. The first son bluntly says, no, I don't want to. No, I don't want to. And uh, deeper than just saying no, like we might be like, okay, that's, that's okay. Deeper than saying no, you got to remember that this is the first century in the Middle East. So respect is huge. This is like an honor and shame culture. So if you directly disobey your father, like you could... You could even risk your own life, you know. Um, there, in the Old Testament, th there was a law that actually allowed for children who were continually disobedient to, to be stoned, you know. Like, this was a big deal. So disrespect was very serious. But the father doesn't correct his son there. He leaves him and goes to the second son. And when he goes to the, the second son, he, um, he, he quickly responds by saying, yes, sir, I'll go. Yes, sir. There's this sign of respect. Like, I'll do it, Dad. Like, anything for you. Like, he's like the, the, the suck-up kid, you know? Um, anything for you. You know, he speaks with respect to his father, but as soon as his father leaves, he forgets. Meanwhile, the first son regrets his decision, turns around, and goes and works in the vineyard. Um, that, that idea of going and and changing his mind, there's that phrase, changing his mind. And what that means, it's the same word for repentance. That that first son sat on his decision, sat on his disobedience, thought about it, and decided in the end to change his mind and turn around. And sometimes we view repentance with kind of this stern feeling in our, in our, um, in our culture. But really, it's the, at its base meaning is just to change your mind and turn around. So Jesus brings it home to the Pharisees, and, he's, and he's, this is what shocks them. He asks them, which one really did his father's will? Was it the one who had the, had the respect and, and honor and gave the nice words at the beginning, or was it the one who actually went out into the field? And of course, the Pharisees can't just walk away from this question. They can't say, I don't know, because the answer is obvious. 
Um, and they had been unwilling to give Jesus any answer, but they had to admit, like reluctantly, painfully, like, yes, it was the, it was the first son. The first son did the will of his father. Not the son who made a good first impression, but the son who actually changed his mind and went and did the work. And so Jesus ties that into um, people who, who these religious leaders despised, like the prostitutes and the, the tax collectors. And he said, they will enter the kingdom of God before you because they've actually chewed on what I said and changed their direction, changed their path. They'll actually enter my kingdom bef before you because your hearts are far from God. And God values right action over flowery words or no substance. And so here is the distinction that Jesus makes. There's two different kinds of obedience. There's religious obedience, and then there's repentant obedience. There's religious obedience and repentant obedience. And this is what we'll see. Um, the first point is this, is that religion says yes to God on the surface. Religion says yes to God on the surface. The second brother's response looked great on the surface. Like it was polished. Yes, sir. Sir, yes, sir. Like it was, it was, uh, it, it was like anything you would want from your son. But unfortunately, it was just the appearance of obedience. It wasn't actual obedience. It didn't actually mean anything. The words never translated into action. And I'd love to make this story just about the Pharisees. You know, like, man, weren't those guys so dumb? Like they could never get it right. They could never really obey. Um, but do we also do things for appearance? I mean, obviously not like we didn't do this for appearance. Um, but do we praise Jesus one minute and then leave and forget who he is in the, in the next minute? You know, because I think if we're honest, we all are prone to a little bit of pretending sometimes. You know, you ever talk to someone and it's like, how are you doing? Great. Really? Are you really doing great? Are you honestly doing great? I talked to somebody last week who I asked how he was doing. He said, I'm the most blessed person in the history of the world. It's like, wow, that's a little scary, actually. Um, but I think, like, one of the greatest temptations we have is to pretend. We have this temptation to pretend, pretend that we're good, pretend that we're not struggling, like, hide it. And I get that because I don't like to see others see me struggle. I don't like to uh, be anxious around other people. I don't like to reveal like, oh, I'm having a tough day. And um, I don't want to share those moments with other people or admit that I'm having them. Um, but pretending you're doing okay when you're not is actually a dangerous thing. It's actually a dangerous thing. And that's why we want this church to be a place where it's okay to not be okay. Like we want to be a place where it's okay to not be okay, where you can you can come in and, and, and be mad at God, where you can come in and, and be struggling through something, where you can come in and, and not have it all together. Like, we have to be that if we're honestly going to follow what God wants us to follow. It's okay to, to go to your small group and admit, hey, I actually feel far from God. Like, I know that, you, that great things are happening in your life. I don't really see that in my life. And the reason is, is that, that what Jesus says is, is if there's anything that God finds unacceptable, it's pretending. If there's anything that God finds unacceptable, it's pretending. That's why he goes after the religious leaders uh, more than anybody else. Now, I want you to listen to what Jesus tells these same Pharisees a little later in Matthew 23. He says this to them. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus is saying you can look great on the outside, but on the inside you can be dead. It's just like if you went over here this morning, like it looks okay on the outside, but if you open it up, the reason why we're over here is because it's just full of dead things, okay? So it's perfect, actually. We set it up that way on purpose. Um, <laughs> but the danger in, in pretending is that you actually, you're masking spiritual unhealth. And if you mask the fact that you're, f- you're far from God, or if you're just covering up where you're at, then you never really grow. Like, you never actually get a chance to grow because you're not being honest with God and you're not being honest with community. See, we have this tendency to want to hide. Just like Adam and Eve, like the first thing they did when they realized they'd sinned was to cover themselves. And we have that same tendency, like, man, like, I, I'm, I messed up, like, I want to hide, I want to cover myself, like, and what ends up happening, like, if, if you live a life like that, like the Pharisees, is that there's just spiritual decay that sets into your life. Could it be that God can't change you if you're pretending? Could it be that God wants to change you, but he can't because you're not willing to be honest with him? Because Jesus is saying that you can appear to have it all together on the outside, but yet be dying on the inside. There's a book I read this week called Choose and Choose Again, and written by Pastor Kevin Butcher, and he writes about his friend Brian in this book. He said Brian was an elder at one of the fastest growing churches in America. He was a missionary kid. He grew up in Brazil. Uh, He knew the Bible really well, inside and out. He had a a great Christian wife and a bunch of happy, healthy um, kids, and he was financially blessed. He even moved to urban Detroit to be sacrificial with his life, to reach out to other people. You know, this is a guy that if he was here, we'd probably be like, man, he's a leader. Like, let's get him, like, volunteering right now, sign him up for a serve team, like, let's get this guy going. But then... Kevin meets with Brian and he sees what's going on underneath the surface and this is what he writes he says anyone who would have met Brian would have said this guy's the whole package he's full he's satisfied and has what everyone else longs for but do you want the truth Brian was empty because even with all his great Christian and societal whatevers he didn't have a clue that he was personally and passionately loved by God And so he goes on and he talks about how over lunch, Brian just spills everything to him. He spills an eating disorder to him. He spills a pornography addiction to him. He said, I've been hiding this whole time under this great Christian veneer, but on the inside, I feel like I'm dying. He actually admits to him, I feel like I'm losing my will to live. All of this is hidden in this Christian veneer. He uses this phrase, Christian veneer, and I wonder how common that story is how common that story is. I wonder how many of us, we settle for the Christian veneer instead of being honest and finding freedom in a God who loves us. Do we know that we're passionately loved by God? That's where this starts. Do we know that we're passionately loved and pursued by God? Because it's only when we remove the veneer that the gospel can penetrate deep into our soul. 
that, that, that the love of God can begin to break through the veneer and change us from the inside out. And so the question for all of us, is there a veneer that we need to remove today? That you need to remove today? Because it might be a veneer that's preventing you from experiencing the real love of God. And that would be a tragedy because that's the love of God is what can change you from the inside out. And so while it might be painful to remove, it also leads to freedom. And it's a freedom that starts in your soul and works its way out. Because while religion may say yes to God for the show, uh, repentance says yes to God from the soul. And that's the difference between religious obedience and repentant obedience, is repentance says yes to God from the soul. See, God doesn't want our surface yes. God wants our soul yes. God wants the, our internal yes. God wants us to say yes from the deepest part of us. You know, and, and it might be removing the mask so that we can be, so that God can heal our soul. So getting back to the story, the first brother repented. You know, the first brother changed his mind. He, we, and we don't really have a lot of details about wh why he made his decision or what changed his mind, but I think what we can assume is this. Ultimately, the son realized that doing his father's will was going to be way better than doing his own will. That, that, that doing his father's will and being close to his father was going to be way better in the long run than just doing what he wanted to do. And that's the beginning of repentance, realizing that God's way is better. That God's order to your life is going to be better than the way that you order your life. And repenting is realizing that it's ultimately better for us to do God's will instead of our own will. In instead of our own, living our own lives for ourselves, being involved in God's will close to God's heart brings freedom from relationship with God. But if you're like me, like you've wrestled with this. You know, there's been nights where you stayed up and you've wrestled with the will of God. This is not just a one-time thing, one decision where I choose my will over God's will and then everything's great for the rest of your life. No, this is a cycle, right? You're like, okay, I'm obeying you, I'm obeying you, and I'm kind of struggling, now I'm kind of doubting. And you have those nights where you just wrestle with God. Like I had a morning this week where I woke up at four and I was like just really stressed out and really got like, God, is this like, you know, can, do, can I trust you with this? And we have those moments where we wrestle with God, whether or not we're going to surrender to him, whatever the issue might be. And what I love about this story is that the dad actually lets this happen. He, he, he doesn't demand obedience from the son right away. He lets him respond from his heart, because that's what God wants. And God's going to let you wrestle. God's going to let you wrestle with him so that your response comes from the heart. And God's given us all that freedom. Because even Jesus wrestled with God's will. Isn't that encouraging? Even Jesus wrestled with whether or not he could do God's will. The night before Jesus went to the cross, his heart was tearing apart inside of him. And he cried out, my father, if possible, may this cup be taken from me. But you might remember these words. He says, yet not as I will, but as you will. So he's just wrestling with God. He asks him, God, take this away from me. I, I don't want to do this. But he says, not as I will, but as you will. And looking at the cross and knowing that this was his father's will, Jesus makes this decision, not my will, but your will.
And it's because of his obedience that we're here today. It's because of the obedience of Jesus that we can be saved, that we can find freedom. And the only way that, that our sin could be forgiven if, is if Jesus was obedient to his Father's will, as painful as it was. And so I don't know what you're wrestling with right now. I don't know what you've come in and, and are kind of, you know, if you're in sort of a knockdown, dragout fight with God or, or just struggling with different things. You know, we have human desires that wear us out and drag us down. We've seen how human desires can wreck lives uh, if they go unhinged. Pornography, alcoholism, all those things. Maybe as you wrestle, you say, like, not, not my will, but your will. Your will is better than my own self-rule. You know, so there's that side. There's the things that sort of invade our lives and make it difficult uh, for us to obey, like addiction. But then there's also other things. Um, maybe it's a desire for safety. Um, I, I, was, I was surprised this week to see the parallels between this story and the story of the Good Samaritan, which we all know. You have the religious people, and then you have kind of the nobody, the, the Good Samaritan, right? And, and so what happens is there's a man who's beaten, and he's bleeding on the side of the road, and you have two religious people pass by, and, and they're too busy, or they're scared that somebody else might be lurking around, and so they avoid helping this man. But it's the Good Samaritan. It's the guy who these other religious leaders look down on who actually stops and helps the man in his hurt, in his pain. And that might be the yes that we have trouble with. We might be tough to say, God, even if it compromises my safety, I'm willing to follow you. Even if it puts me in a, in a dangerous position um, financially or, or even like my physical location, moving to a new place like, God, I'm willing. I'm willing to follow you. And I don't know what Jesus is asking of you, but I know that we're all wrestling with something. We're all wrestling with something. Um, it, you might be following Jesus, have followed Jesus for 30 years, but you could still be wrestling with something, having those knockdown, drag out fights with God. We all wrestle with whether or not we will say yes to God. So this morning, think about what are you wrestling with right now? What, what are you wrestling with over the will of God? Maybe it's playing it safe. Uh, maybe it's something that's snuck, up, snuck into your life and has become the thing more than God. Early on as we were planting this church, I had a moment of decision with God. I had a moment of, of real wrestling with God. Um, you got, a lot of you will remember this, but we announced that we were planting this church actually two years ago this month in October of 2017. Um, Bonnie and I moved to Blaine in, in just that September. Uh, we had like a kind of a cool start to things and there was some energy around it. And then around January, February, some doubt started to creep in. Like I had some people who said, yeah, they, you were interested, kind of back out. And it, you know, I just, I was unsure, like, God, is this gonna float? Is this, is this really what you want? And I remember I went to the, I was on a run and I went down to the pier down here. And I was just kind of looking out at the town. I remember Jesus spoke to me in that moment. He said, are you all in? Are you all in on Blaine? Are you all in on Blaine? I'm looking at the water like, like I get this image of like jumping in to the water. I didn't actually jump in. I kind of chickened out on that. But 
figuratively I jumped in, right? No. But it's that idea of like, okay, if I'm all in, like, I got to do this, right? I got to, I got to just jump in. And the, the second thought I got was burn the bridges. Burn the bridges. Burn the bridges. The idea that, you know, if you're like me, you like to hedge your bets, right? So it's like, well, if this doesn't work out, I can do this. If, if, uh, if this doesn't work, I got a plan B. You know, we're always kind of figuring out like, okay, what's my escape route, right? And what God told me was like, burn the bridges. Just be all in. And so I gave God my yes in that moment. Like, yes, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. Whatever, whatever happens, whatever you bring, whether it's abundance or scarcity, whatever, like I'm in. I'm in God. The question for all of us today, whatever bridge we're standing on, whatever we're looking at in our life, doesn't all have to tie back to the church. It can be anything, right? Like, what, what's God calling you to do? Are you all in on that thing? Does God have your yes? And if he has your yes, are you willing to stay with it? Are you willing to continue to pursue it? Whatever that might be. Because the obedience that God accepts is the one that's backed up by action. That says yes, even in the difficult times, even when we might not feel it, or we, or we might have discouragement, um, or we might be unsure if things are going to work out, that's the obedience God accepts is when we're willing to say, yes, God, I know that you're with us, because God doesn't leave us. The promise that comes up over and over again in Scripture is, I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you. We can do a lot if God is with us, and I firmly believe that. We, as a community, can do a lot here in our community if God is with us. Are we willing to pray towards that? Are we willing to run after that and pursue that? Let's pray. Worship team can come on up. God, we, uh, we just want to sit at your feet this morning. Lord, you are a loving God. Lord, you care for every aspect of our lives. Lord, you sit with us when we wrestle. God, you, uh, you allow us to chew on things. You allow our hearts to think on things, God, for your, uh, so that we can make a firm decision on whether or not we will really follow God. And so, Lord, I pray, Jesus, that if we're in a valley of doubt, if we're in a valley of indecision, if we're in a valley where we don't know if we can keep going, God, would you help us to keep going? Lord, you give us power. We talked last week about how we have incredible power through your Holy Spirit available to us. And God, in our wrestling, would the Holy Spirit be present? Lord, if we're wrestling, God, do I really want to follow you? Do I really want to trust you with my life? Jesus, Holy Spirit, show up and give us the power to say yes and the power to just follow, to put one foot in front of the other, even when it's hard. God, even when it's difficult. Lord, I pray that. I pray for this week that in your spirit you'd meet us in our wrestling and encourage us. That you'd meet us in our wrestling and lift us up. Jesus, we are thankful for you, God. And as we, as, as we gather at your table, Lord, as we come to the table of communion, the one that, that, that reminds us that you paid uh, for our eternal lives God, with your own blood, the blood of your son, Jesus, that you would lift us up, that you would remind us of how much you love us, and that you would show us that anything is possible when we believe in you and not turn back. 
And Lord, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.